Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Dry Run Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at dryrunbaptist.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1. We've been walking verse by verse through Ecclesiastes. We continue today. You know, as a parent, you, you watch things that you wouldn't normally watch. Like my wife gives me these kid movies, right? And there's, she gives me like three options. She's like, which one do you like better? And I'm like, I like all of them equally. I don't want to get, you know, you might know what I mean by that. Like, oh, do you like this cartoon or that cartoon? And, I, and I'm trying not to, you know, be Eeyore like I am all the time, but I'm like, they're all the same, you know, they're, they're pretty much the same to me, right? They're pretty much on the same level, you know? Well, we were watching the Winnie the Pooh movie the other day, and if, if Daddy's ever in that movie, he's the Eeyore, right? How you doing? Not very good. <laughs> Thanks for noticing me, you know? <laughs> but, but there is someone in that movie that I think that I'm like and that you're like. There is an owl in that movie. And the owl begins to tell his own story. And what does he say? He calls it the memoir, the memoir of the birth of a genius. The memoir of the birth of a genius. So if you had to describe the story about you, would you say the same thing? Like, are you the kind of person that thinks that you're the smartest person in every room that you walk into? Like, you walk in and you're like, you're glad I'm here. And I'm going to show you why. And I'm going to show you how. Now, there are good things about our wisdom. And I'm not saying they're, they're not. Here we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, in which that he, he kind of sounds like Eeyore a little bit in this thing to be like, how's it going down here? Not very good. <laughs> What's life like under the sun? Meaningless. There is meaninglessness under the sun. So life apart from God down here, from where we're sitting, black and white, no color, no meaning. And yet, he's told us how good wisdom can be. So our ears may perk up and we go, ha, so there is something, so there is hope down here, right? There's hope down here. And it's in our wisdom. But here's the problem with that. And the main, that is the truth of this passage that we see as the main point, that wisdom is valuable but you are not wiser than God. So everything under the sun is meaningless. Wisdom is good. But we are not wiser than God. And that ought to change how we live and how we relate to him. So first, we see the value and benefits of wisdom. Wisdom's pretty good. It's better than being a fool. Here's why. Verse 1. Who's like the wise? 
And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. So just like he's already said at the end of chapter 7, wisdom is rare. He hadn't found a man in a thousand that had any, and no women at all. Like I said before, that is not saying, well, you know, that's not what saying what you think it might be saying. He's just saying that there is not much wisdom to be found around. So he asks, who's like the wise? You know, you know the kind of people, the kind that knows what to do. See, here's why I'm a fool. I know a lot of information. And I don't know what to do with it a lot of the time. Isn't that, you? I'm the only one, I'm sure, right? You know what's happening. You know what's going on. You just don't know what to do. See, that's what he's saying that wisdom does for you. It lets you know not just what's happening, but what to do. If you've got kids, you know the information that they're handing you a fry. Wisdom lets you know that you hadn't had McDonald's in a week, so you're not going to eat it. Right? It's not just information, it's what to do. So, we... According to verse 2, it changes you. So it, it benefits you. It makes your face shine. Is it some, he, he's not talking about some type of grease here. In case you're curious, this isn't Hebrew grease. You know, <laughs> wisdom's not. But what it does is it, it changes you and transforms you. That's what, that's what he's talking about. And how, in what way might wisdom transform you? Well, here's a couple of benefits that he mentions at the beginning of verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty going out from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. So here's what wisdom does for you. It puts you under human authority. Wisdom tells you how to submit. That's okay. I guess I want some of that. Because here's what we would hope that this verse would, would, would then go to, right? Who's like the wise? The person who's wise, they go all the way to the top. They are the king of the mountain. The, the, the wisest among us is the, the tallest in the top of the ladder. But no, what, what does he do? He says the wisdom that you have if you have real wisdom, it teaches you how to submit to the authority. That's okay, right? It doesn't like it might not take you to the top, but it, it tells you how to submit to those at the top. I'm not saying that wisdom doesn't help you in all aspects of your life, but this is the one he's telling you right now that if you're wise, let me tell you what to do. Keep the king's command. So what, what is this telling us here? He's saying that we should obey human authorities. Because those authorities are under God. Right? This is the theological reason why we don't speed. Theological reason why we put on our seatbelts. This is theological reason for why we pay taxes and try not to cheat the government. That's what this is. 
we have this, and it's not just the reason, right? But it's one of the reasons. We Christians obey our leaders and the government for more reasons than your average bear out there. Because the second one, the reason, is what he talks about in verse 4. Who can check the power of those in authority? Not you and not me. So a couple reasons why we obey the authority that God put in place. One, because God put them in place and we care about that. Two, because they'll punish us if we don't. But what does wisdom do? It tells us how to relate to this authority. A couple things. Keeps the king's command. So we do what the authorities tell us to do. Why? Because God put them where they are. God's oath to the king. Verse 3. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Don't take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. This is talking about turning your back on a ruler in that day, right? This is like the modern day. What we would be doing would be disrespecting our leaders. Why wouldn't we do that? Because he does whatever he wants. And his word is supreme. Who, who tell, who's going to ask him, what are you doing? So here's what he's saying. We should obey human authorities because those authorities are under God and we're searching for meaning in life. And he says how good it is for us to have wisdom down here because of God's oath to the king. Now this isn't new, right? This isn't new for us as Christians because of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17. Fear God, honor the emperor. Titus 3:1. Submit yourselves to every ordinance for the Lord's sake. Now, I, here's why we might struggle with this. The government does a lot of things that I'm not happy about. Right? You you pay taxes, they do a lot of things with your money that you're not too tickled about. What do we see here from the scriptures? That we ought to obey them. Now, there are times when, when we might not. If they go against God in a certain way, like for the propagation and spread of the gospel, we see that in the book of Acts, chapters 4 and 5, in which that the apostles spurned their leaders and said we must obey God rather than man. There's got, there's going to be, there's, there are times, right? There are times that we say we must obey God rather than man. We must do that. But as a general rule, we should do what they say. Not because of who they are, right? But because of who God is that put them in place. So we might not like them, but we do honor them because of and what's that wisdom look like right there in verse 3? We don't turn our back in the presence. That's a sign of disrespect. We don't take our stand in an evil cause, right? We don't take part in a rebellion. Why? Because the king does whatever he pleases. So, wisdom will put you under authority. So if you're wise, you will obey the authorities that God put over top of you. If you're a fool you will rebel. Not only that, but wisdom will prescribe how to respond in verse 5. So wisdom won't just put you under authority, but it'll show you how to relate to them. Verse 5, whoever keeps 
a, a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and just the way, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. So here's what he's saying. To pursue wisdom knows timing. Have you ever said the wrong, the right thing at the wrong time to your wife? I'm asking for a friend for you all. Have you ever said the wrong thing at the right time? Yeah. Been there, done that. He's saying... The wise will know what time it is. Will know what time it is. Timing is, is a big deal. And they'll not only know that, but how to act and the time to do it. So in the context of the book, there isn't meaning to be found down here, but there is a right way to go about things. The wise knows what he ought to be doing. Man, that all sounds pretty straightforward until we realize that we're not in the book of Proverbs anymore. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the book of Proverbs, Solomon tells you about the benefits of wisdom and leaves it at that. That's all there is, right? Wisdom is good. Except, remember, weeks ago I said we're in the weird part of town to where you walk by and you see the guy with the sign that says the end is near and you go, he's probably right, but I'd like to keep walking. This is the weird part of town of the scriptures, so to speak. Why is that? Because it's really honest. This is the most honest book ever written. And what does it say? There's benefits to wisdom, right? It'll put you under human authority, keep you safe right there. It'll tell you how to act, when to act. But he's taking a hard, honest look at life under the sun. Life as it is not life like we wished it was. And what does he say? Instead of the full story that wisdom may do a lot of things and have a lot of benefits, verse 6 says you can figure out by your wisdom the time and the way to respond, but trouble lies heavy because verse 7 says you can't know the future. You're not going to be able to see what's coming no matter how wise you are. So you can pursue wisdom, right? And how do we get this wisdom? Well, he kind of gives us that example in verses 14 through 19 that we'll get to in a minute. How do we get this wisdom that puts us under authority and tells us the right thing to do at the right time like we wished we could do? Well, the Proverbs did tell us that in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. You want to figure out how to submit to the authorities to please God. You want to figure out how to say the right thing at the right time. It all starts with pleasing God, with fearing God. So that's how we get this wisdom. But here's, here's a problem, something we can't know. We can't know the future. So I don't know about you, but sleep even pre-newborn, sleep wasn't really that, that steady for me. We, we didn't hang out that often, even before we got the new baby. I didn't really hang out with sleep a whole lot. Uh, we'd do a little bit of, of, of uh, time together between 10 and 3, but after that, not, not a whole lot. Now, 
there are two things that keep you up at night. And if you have kids, you may have more than that. But you know what I mean? Like, ultimately, really, it comes down to two things that keep you up at night. First, worrying about things you know. But here's the second thing that keeps you up at night. What you don't know. And maybe that's the, the worst one, right? Not just what you know, but what you don't know. The uncertainty you feel may leave, lead to an overall dread of anxiety in your life. <laughs> Either things you do know or don't know. But the very fact that you don't know what's going to happen next could cripple you. That it could be what wakes us up at night. So what will wisdom do? It will take the information that you have, let you know what to do with it. But one thing wisdom will not let you do, know the future. So, particularly, what's going to happen in verse 8. It says, No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. So wisdom in verse 7, you can't know the future. Verse 8, wisdom will not pro, uh, prolong your life in any way. You don't know the future, and when the day of death comes, you'll be powerless. I feel like he's slapping us down a little bit to where we're like, there's nothing new under the sun, nothing meaningful under the sun. And he goes, but wisdom is pretty good. So we go, hey, I'll order two of those. And he goes, don't get too carried away. Don't get too carried away. Don't get excited about that. Wisdom's good. Keeps you getting put from being put to death by the government, possibly. Or it could teach you how to relate, say the right thing at the right time. It's good. Here's the problem. It's not going to tell you the future. It's not going to tell you what happens. Verse 8, it's not going to prolong your life. That, my friends, is a struggle. So, this is different than, than the world religions that are out there, right? It's completely different than that. Why? The world religions tell us that the end is knowing what we teach you. And this is completely different than the prosperity gospel that tells you wisdom and things you know, like as if your God can change your situation. It's nothing like that at all. And this says wisdom is great. You should get it. But don't expect it to do everything for you. You can only go so far with how you, much you know, right? And isn't a little bit of wisdom knowing your limits? Because here he says, you, you should get wisdom. It's good. But you're, you don't know what's next. And you don't know what the end is. And you can't make it different. What, what does this do? This is, like I said, it's the most honest book ever written. And what does it do for us? It helps us put stuff in perspective. Puts everything in perspective. Wisdom puts us under authority. We respect our leaders. We'll keep the rules. We'll know timing. But you can't do much about death. And that's what he saw under the sun. 
verse 9, he just says we relate to each other, like the whole authority thing. Man is in charge of man to his hurt. Man is wise and under authority, but there's suffering in that submission, and death erases it all. Then he looks out at the wicked, and he reflects on the life of the wicked. So this is the natural objection that we see beginning in verse 10 and following, that if you can be wise and know not only information, but what to do with that information, it helps you understand what to deal with the most powerful among us. However, it doesn't tell us what's coming ahead and it doesn't make our life any longer. So what if we just avoid it all and go straight into whatever we want to do? That's the question that he keeps coming back to in Ecclesiastes. What if you look at these pursuits and you say it's not worth it? Trying to gain wisdom trying to please God, it's not worth it. What if you avoid wisdom and live however way you want to? Why not wickedness? Why not? If it's all meaningless anyway, why not pick the kind of meaningless you want and have more pleasurable meaninglessness? I mean, if it's all a puff of smoke, why not do what you want with that vapor that you have? See, this is a fine line. We walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. He keeps telling us there's nothing under the sun where there's meaning. And then we go, okay, well, live it up then, right? No. There's a problem with that. The wicked get buried, and there's this flashback onto their life. According to verse 10, they used to go in and out of the holy place. So they were hip, hypocrites that took part in religious activity. So this is why not live this vapor up the way you want. If you can try to be as wise as, as you can be, there's not meaning apart from God down here, so why not live it up because of the end of your life? The wisdom's not going to tell you when that end comes, but here in the, the passage we see that there is an end that's coming. He says, I look out at the world and I see the wicked buried verse 10 there's the flashback of their life these people that are that lived wickedly and died they used to be praised they were praised in the city where they have done such things this is vanity so they were hypocrites you know what's meaningless you know what really doesn't matter at all praising wicked people for religious motions that they go through before they die be like wow that person carried a Bible before they died. That's meaningless. That's, there's nothing there. Right? Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we see that wisdom is meaningful, right? It's good and limited. But the opposite, folly, wickedness, no. They get buried in the end. And you look back on their life, and they did religious things, and that doesn't matter. Because religious motions from a wicked person does nothing for us. Perfect waste of the puff of smoke of a life that we have. See, that's what he's doing here, right? Contrasting wisdom and wickedness. And you say, well, those things don't really, like wisdom and what's the opposite of wisdom? Anybody know? Anybody? Folly, there you go. Wisdom and folly, why isn't he doing that one? Well, why stop halfway, right? 
Why stop half, halfway? You go hard or you go home? So he's saying wisdom or wickedness. Because what is the result of our folly? Wickedness. And what's the result of our wickedness? Death. I saw the wicked buried, and they used to do uh, religious things, and people praised them for that, and that was silly. So why, why do people not go into the silliness? Why, why do people even give into the silliness anyway? Well, verse 11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children man is fully set to do evil. Do you, do you catch what he's saying here? The reason people live their desires out the way they want to live is because they think they can get away with it. They think they can get away with it. Why are there more wicked people in the world? Because they think they can get, they either are getting away with it or they think they can get away with it. To be honest, if we want to be honest about ourselves, why aren't we more, why aren't we worse? Why aren't we worse? Because we don't think we can get away with it. And if we thought we could get away with it, then we might be. What is the root of every single one of us, according to verse 11? What's the cause of that? Well, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. You see the problem there? Why not, wickedness, why not wisdom and in, in, Go into wickedness? Well, we'll want to. Why? Because we can get away with it. Beginning of verse 11. The second half of verse 11, our hearts are fully set to do evil. It's been said by another pastor. I said we have a newborn. That there's, there's a reason why newborns are born little. They're born little. Why? Because the hearts of the children of men are fully set to do evil. And if they're born six feet tall, 285 pounds... They'd kill us in our sleep. That's why kids are born little. Why? Because the heart of man is fully set to do evil. That's why they're born little. So we can restrain that evil in their heart with discipline as they get bigger. That same pastor called him a, a, a viper in a diaper. He's little, so he don't kill us, and he's cute, so we don't kill him. <laughs> but if we want to be really honest about verse 11, second half of verse 11, this is what it is. The problem is, though, that we ourselves don't see the things that we want to do to be evil. They're just what we want to do. So where does this evil word come from? Why does he call it evil? That is God's evaluation on what we really want to do in the first place. See, we don't think it's evil. We think it's what we want to do. But God has a word for what we want to do apart from him, instead of him, and around him. What is that word? Evil. That's what it is. So what's it like under the sun apart from God with no intervention of God in the hearts of man? Evil. Fully set to do the thing. But here's the problem with that. Wisdom has its limits. Wickedness has its limits. Here's the limits of wickedness. Verse 12. 
Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So do you see what's happening here? Wisdom is great. Pursue wisdom. It's got limits, so don't, don't get crazy with it. Don't fly off the handle and do whatever you want to do with, foolish, with foolishness and wickedness. Why? Because your heart's fully set to do evil and that evil that you do is done before the eyes of a holy God. You see our problem there? God. As it's been said, that's what our biggest problem is. God. Biggest problem is our wicked heart in the eyes of a holy God. That's our problem. If I want to look at my life and describe what's been my biggest obstacle, a wicked heart, fully set to do evil. And why is that a problem? I can just do whatever I want. Why? Because I live, whether I like it or not, in the eyes of a holy God, and it will not go well with me. I mean, it might look, it might look like it for a minute, right? It might go okay, right? We, he said it. The, the, why do we do more evil? Why do we look to do more evil? Because the sentence is not carried out quickly. So that means we might be able to get away with a little bit of stuff. But ultimately, we will not get away with this evil inside our heart because it is done before a holy God. And it will not go well with those that rebel against God. You might get away with it for a minute. But it always won't be like that. And you will stand before God. Verse 14 says it's meaningless down here. And it looks a lot like this. There are righteous people who get what wicked people deserve. And wicked people who get what righteous people deserve. Now, keep in mind, we will all stand before God. But here's the problem in the meantime. Wickedness doesn't get punished as quickly as we'd like it to. Sometimes the wicked get treated better than the righteous. You always don't get what you deserve. You don't. It's a really dark place down here under the sun. Solomon reminds us what he said already. You don't get you deserve. You don't get you deserve down here. So enjoy God's good gifts, the little things, eating drinking and working that's a level that we ought to enjoy things we can try to be wise pursue wisdom avoid wickedness but ultimately god gives us little things to enjoy verse 17 says there are things going on that we just don't know about because as wise as you try to get you can't be wiser than god you should pursue wisdom, obey authorities, seek the right thing to do at the right time. Enjoy the little things that God has given you. But no, all of this has limits. Verse 17, he says, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, 
Much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So what do we do about all this? Chapter 9, verse 1, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether there's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. We can try to examine this life down here and ask, why is it like this? Why is it like this? I know I'm not the smartest one in the room. To every room I go in, I know I'm not the smartest. I see how what beneficial wisdom is. I see how that I'm living before God, so wickedness isn't going to work for me. But why do the wise get treated like the wicked and the wicked get treated like the wise? Why, why is everything like that? Well, verse 17 you can seek to find out what God is doing in that, but you're probably not going to. What should you do? Lay this to your heart. 9, verse 1, that your life is in his hands. You don't know what he's doing, but your life is in his hands. So wisdom is valuable, but you are not wiser than God, but your life is in God's hands. The New Testament, Paul echoes this, right? There is a limit, right, to where our mind can go and what we can know. Romans wrote chapter 9, verses, or chapter 9 through 11, he's talking about how God elects individuals in chapter 11. He goes, how does God save people? Oh, the depths of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be paid, repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Who knows God's wisdom? Who knows what God is doing, right? Things are broken down here. Do not forget, he's talking about life under the sun. This is life lived apart from God, without his intervention, without him working in our life. You might not know how he's working, but know that he's working. You might not think that he's hearing, but that doesn't mean you... Don't keep praying. You don't know why things are, you're getting treated like you're getting treated and why bad things are happening to somebody as good as you and why good things are happening to people as bad as them. You don't know. But know this. You're not as wise as God. And if you were as wise as God, you'd want things to be the same way that God has them now. If you're as wise as him, you'd be okay in what, with what he's doing. You see how it's foolishness for us to speak against what God is doing when we don't know the things that God knows. Our kids come at us and go, why, is this like, why does this got to be done like this? Well, if you knew everything that daddy knew, you would know exactly how daddy wants it done. But you don't know everything daddy knows. That's the way it is with God. We don't know what he's doing, but our life is in his hands. And we may struggle with this. Let me show you what this struggle looks like. Have you, do you know a bad driver? 
Do you know a bad driver? If, if your spouse is that, don't look at them right now. Like, have you really, really been in the car with a bad driver? You know, every car is made for that event. If, there, if you happen to get in the passenger seat with a bad driver, there are, there are things there for you in your car. There's one up here, right? There's one. Or, you, or if it's really bad and you want to send a message to them, you'll grab it with this hand so they can't see you, and then you'll grab one right here. But have you ever been in a car when you had to use those? You ever use those things? Because the issue is, if you get in the car and you found yourself to be in a car with a bad driver, you're praying and you're just waiting to use that roadside assistance. You're just waiting for that. And you're anxious and you're uptight. And you know the one thing you're not doing? Trusting. You're not trusting them. You don't trust them. You think they're going to kill you. You're just waiting to see when it is. You know, you're like, I got to check out. The, I'm going to Google the funeral home and see if they're busy. Because you're doing a terrible job driving. It's awful. We're going to die. In this, like, this is going to be our first casket, you know? Before we get into the box, we're going to die in this aluminum one. That, my friends, is how some of us live before God. Like that he doesn't know what he's doing. We're holding on for all our life and white-knuckling things because the God in whom our lives are in his hands is a terrible driver. Looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, is he really that bad of a driver? Or does he just know things that you don't know? Does he just know things that you don't know? Can he do things and have things at his disposal? And can he shape your life in ways that you can't fathom? Is that possible? Is that where the anxiety comes from? Is that where the distrust comes from? Is it possible that he knows more than you? That he's wiser than you? And that he is far beyond you? That the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God are unsearchable? The ends and depths of those things. Is that possible? I'm not saying that's only possible. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, I'm saying that's the life that we live. That he knows more than you. That he has more things at his disposal than you. You should be wise. Don't be a fool. Seek wisdom. Fear the Lord. Realize you're living your life in front of God, so don't go off into wickedness. Keep his commands. But by all means, in light of the wisdom of God, who is wiser than you, Trust in Him because your life is in His hands. 
And the truth is, there's nothing you can do to get your life out of his hands. People that don't believe in him, that do not love him, that do not follow his son, their lives are in his hands. And if you don't take anything else away today, take this with you, that the God of all the universe is far wiser than you and he absolutely knows what he's doing with your life. He absolutely knows what he's doing with your life through struggles, through trials, through troubles, through everything in between. It may seem rocky. It may seem rough, but he knows what he's doing. He's far wiser than you. Do not try to match wits with him. Do not try to figure everything out because you can't and you won't. But figure this one big thing out that this wise God holds you in his hands. And he's working all things to good, to your good, for those who love God and are called according to his wise purpose. Do not forget that. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you that your life is in his hands. And that could be a good thing, or it could be a very scary thing. Because the issue is, God is holy and righteous and just and perfect in all of his ways. He knows exactly what he's doing in his world. And you have rebelled against him. You've tried to run your own life. You have looked at him who is all wise and ruler of his universe and said, excuse me, sir, you are in my seat. Please move. As the one who runs this thing. The Bible says when you do that to God, that is rebellion against him. And if you are not a Christian, that is what you've done. You say, I know better than you, God. I will run my life with my little set of rules that I do and I don't do, and I have my own morals and I have my own code. The Bible says your own code is sin because the, full, the heart of man is fully set to do evil. So from your perspective, it may just look like you doing what you want to do. But from God's perspective and evaluation of your life, your heart is fully set to do evil because it's fully set to do exactly what you want to do. And the Bible calls that sin. Well, what did God do because of your heart being fully set to do evil? God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and he lived the perfect life that you could not have lived. God was always the one directing his paths. He was always obedient to his father. He did not argue with his dad like he was a teenager, like you do. He lived the perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins to receive the punishment that we deserve from God and death could not hold this one. For he was the Holy One of Israel, wrapped in skin. He lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose victorious on the third day over death, hell, and the grave, and everything in between. And he commands that you turn from running your own life because you are not wise enough to be God. God in the flesh commands you to turn from that and trust, bank your life solely in the person of the Lord Jesus, who is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. That you would turn to him and repent 
of acting like you know better than him. Because wisdom's valuable, it sure is. But you are not wiser than God. A God who set his son above all things. Are you living for him? If you are a Christian, are you arguing with God like you're a teenager? Or as some of y'all know, as a three-nager, right? There's two groups of people that argue a lot. They're teenagers and three-nagers. And, what, and why do they do that? Why do they do that? Well, if you've got a three-nager, they act. They, 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 they start learning things. And they think that these things that they learn are, are, are better than daddy. Sorry, I'm just airing some grievances. Sorry, just airing some grievances. They think that that little bit of information they have is more than what daddy has. And you know what? It's not more than what daddy has. Some other people need to be saying amen right now too. And you know, we got a little bit of information, don't we? And we like that information that we have. We, we got this little, we got some stuff. We know some stuff, right? But it is not more than what God knows. Today is, is the perfect time for us to repent. Seek this wisdom of God. God offers his mind to us in the scriptures. But to know that he is wiser than we are. Let's repent like that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. Tell us that your wisdom is unsearchable and your judgments are inscrutable. The things you do, we, we, we don't know often why you do what you do. We don't, we don't know your mind. We, we're not wise enough to counsel you, but we have your mind in these scriptures. Father, give us grace to give ourselves, devote ourselves to these things. Have mercy on us to not argue with you like we're wiser than you, but to submit, to repent as you convict us. Lord, we ask that you would save those among us, that you'd have mercy on sinners. You are so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.